Sales Tuners, Episode 34, Joe Caprio, Vice President of Inside Sales at Insight Squared. Get specific with who you're trying to talk to and then start to iterate, test and iterate. Like I, like I said, um, how many calls, how many emails, what time of day, you know, uh, what's the pitch that you use? So I, I really think that the two things you need to do early on in your company is identify who you're trying to sell to and then start testing out the different methods to, to reach those people. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Tuner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Henry Ford, who said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Joining me today is Joe Caprio, Vice President of Inside Sales at Insight Squared, a sales intelligence platform that turns your CRM data into decision-oriented and actionable results. When he's not showing off his sleeve tattoo while riding his yellow Harley-Davidson Sportster, Joe is helping his team become subject matter experts in order to truly become consultative as opposed to just another salesperson. He also told me he makes the best meatballs on the planet, but until I get to try them, well, the jury's still out on that one. Before we dive in this week, I have a big favor to ask of all of you. Your ratings and reviews on iTunes are the single biggest way I've found to grow the audience for this show. If you found value in anything you've heard on Sales Sooners, would you be willing to take 29 seconds and drop me a five-star review and short piece of feedback? I'd be extremely grateful if you did. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com 34. But now let's get to the conversation where Joe talks about the primary research his company does that ends up driving a fair amount of inbound leads. Oh, you know, you know, it's really interesting for, for your audience. Um, we sell a, we sell a sales focused analytics product that connects to, to your CRM and, and gives you some of the information that you probably wish your CRM gave you. Uh, it's not a counter for how many calls you made. It's not a tracker for, for how many, you know, units you sold. It's actually a, a product that can dissect the conversion rate stage to stage or how deal size or, or sales cycle or lead source can impact your likelihood to win. And so the people who decide to buy our product are either the ones that are, you know, truly trying to improve and get smarter about the way they sell. Or they're the ones that have been instructed from their investors or their management team to go and figure it out. A lot of sales teams out there kind of feel like they're running blind or they're, or they're using their gut to make decisions. And the, the sick irony is that you just have tons and tons of raw data in your CRM that you can't figure out how to use. So a lot of our customers come inbound because there's a demand for it. And then, you know, the rest we go out and, and we find ourselves. One of the things you said there is you have a lot of customers that come inbound, right? Because of all this. And, and I want to say like, that is how I found you guys, because the amount of quality content that you're putting out there around the sales field, sales process, sales methodology, sales CR, it is absolutely amazing. So kudos to you guys uh, for that as well. 
You know, Jim, before you go on, I, I have to say that 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 is entirely Joe Chernoff, who who runs our marketing team. Um, we're we're the beneficiary of our of our customer base, right? We we sell a sales analytics product to to growing and 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 um, you know hyper growth focused sales teams, and and as a result, we've onboarded over a thousand clients, and through those interactions, we've been able to crowdsource. What are these, you know, growing tech companies worried about? What are they trying to measure? And then we're we're able to say, how do you do that in Salesforce? We've seen the best of Salesforce. We've seen the worst of Salesforce. And then we're really able to consolidate that and say, like, here are legitimate best practices for how to build your CRM, how to build your sales team, how to measure, how to set KPIs. And um, I mean, I mean, Joe just does an amazing job, Joe Chernoff, in, in terms of turning that into really valuable free content. It's not clickbait. It, it's actual useful stuff. Well, again, I, I'm, I'm not plugging just for you know any purpose other than it really is just great content. So you're absolutely right on that. And, and it is valuable to to see aggregated data across thousands of potential customers, right? It, there, there's just something there, right? Because you can learn from all the mistakes that others have made, or you can learn from the patterns that have been seen out of a mass amount of data as opposed to just your own. So again, great stuff there. Joe, you know, in, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success, right? And that's what I want to get at today. But before we, we, we jump in today, let's go all the way back. How did you get into sales? What did that time uh, look like? You know, I've got a story that it's probably pretty common for, for your listeners. Uh, I was a senior in, in college. I went to Bentley University just outside of Boston, and uh, I was cruising a career fair, um, at first I was going to do computer science and I got halfway through a course on binary code and, and came to the, the harsh realization that I was not going to do computer science. <laughs> Instead, I went into, in, into management. And as a 21 year old with no real world experience, the only companies that want to hire you to do management are, are retail. So I'm walking up and down the aisles at a career fair and, and this, this little guy from John Hancock pulls me aside and says, hey, do you, do you play sports? Are you competitive? Why don't you come and sell for me? And uh, I told him no, but uh, it, it kind of got me thinking that, you know, he's right. 80% of college kids leave their first job within the first two years. I probably just need to get some experience out there at a real company and then I can I can change. Why not do sales? I am competitive. I am hardworking. I am money motivated. I'm aggressive and I'll do sales for a little while and then I'll go into management. And then here I am 15, 15 years later, still in sales and, and managing sales teams. So he got you hooked on that. So, so Joe, John Hancock, though, that's a financial you know, planning firm. How, how is that sales? Well, you know, it's like, um, it's like uh, Northwest Mutual or, or John Hancock or, or any of these companies that are, are doing financial planning, but also doing insurance. And uh, you're probably on a, on a full 100% draw where you're you're selling life insurance to friends and family. Um, I, I think it's a I think it aside from BDR, it's probably a really, really common first job in sales. And it's hard, right? It's one of the things that I've seen, you know, a lot of the best, not the best, I don't want to say that, but a lot of great reps that I've met have come from that financial space. And, it, you know, I kind of said, asked you that question in jest because I know how hard it is to sell financial products and it truly is sales. People get into that thing and they're just going to be numbers guys and financial planners. And it's just not the case. You're a salesperson. It just happens to be the product you sell is finances. So when you did that, right, and you were getting that competitive experience very early in your career, what did a, an average day or week look like for you? What were some of the struggles that you had early on? Well, 
I think a lot of sales teams aren't data driven and they probably don't invest in, in a really good training and onboarding program. So if, if you go to work for a company like Oracle or, or Salesforce.com, you're fortunate because they, they really invest in it and they have it figured out. Uh, but most of us go to work for small companies that don't have that that enablement arm built out yet. And so my you know, my my introduction to sales, I asked how many how many phone calls are you supposed to make and, and what's the what's the expected outcome from those phone calls? And, you know, it's interesting. It's almost like they're they're playing poker, like they don't want to give you a number because, geez, what if you made more? So they, they don't really want to tell you. Um, so I asked around the people that sat near me, how many calls do you make in a day? What time do you get here? And, and I just did more than what they told me. So however hard you work, I'm going to work harder. And then about three months in, they started posting the actual volume and I was doing about 150% of what everyone else was doing. Uh, wow. And then, yeah, well, something weird happened after that, right? Some folks started chasing me and, and trying to keep up and other folks started making less calls and they said, I'm just not going to compete. And, really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think everybody's in sales for the same reasons, Jim. Okay. But yeah, but that's fascinating though. Like you're, they literally just stopped, started doing less calls. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, I think they unsubscribed from the competition where before we had real data on, on the, the amount of work you did, you could blame luck or you could say, I have a bad list or, or whatever. But as soon as you start to put the information out there and it's, it's evident that you're struggling or you're behind because you're not doing the job then it just becomes like really contentious and uncomfortable and people don't want to accept their limitations. See, so they just unsubscribe. That's fascinating. So but you're kind of assuming upstream there, at least of what I heard, right? You, what you just told me is you're just working harder than everyone else, right? But there's this mantra that you should work smarter, not harder, but you went against the grain there. You know, I love the debate, work smarter, not harder. And, and then the other half of the crowd will say there, there's no substitute for hard work. And I, I never really understood it. How do you pick a side there? Um, who doesn't want to be efficient, right? Who doesn't want to get faster or get better or improve your conversion rates? So you take a couple of really simple steps in the beginning and, and you decide what are the variables you want to test? You know, maybe A-B test your pitch. Maybe A-B test what time of day you make those calls, right? Do I, do I call high or do I call low in the org chart? And then you, you improve. So why wouldn't you get better? But then once you're better and you find a more efficient, faster path to, to close, why do you ease up? Why do you make less calls? So I've always said I'm going to do things so that I can get smarter and learn and improve, but then I'm not going to work less hard. So I'm going to work smarter and harder. I like that. So give me some examples, though. You, you mentioned a couple, you know, call early, call late, uh, call high, call low, you know, A-B test. But like, what, what are some of those things that you were trying to do to create efficiencies in your uh, process, in your outreach? Well, there's there's like an inherent laziness in us salespeople, right? Because we um, we're probably charming, we're probably charismatic, we we probably are, you know, decent grades in school, even though we didn't study. And you know, when there when there's a crowd of people, we our jokes land more often than, than other people. And then we get into the real world, and it's like we don't take our career as seriously as, as other people do. We, there are no continuing education, right? There there there's not a ton of uh, coursework that you do in in sales. You don't have to renew your license every couple of years. And so we end up just saying like, I'm good at this and, and, and I am what I am. And the, the weird part for me is like, it's really, really simple to figure out, you know, a handful of things that, that you're not sure and test it. And then once you have answers to those, 
you know, do more of what works and do less of what doesn't work and then come up with a few more things to test. So over the years, I, I think um, the ones that I've had the biggest success with had the biggest step function improvement, A-B test your pitch. Okay, you, you probably can have like a, a value prop led pitch versus like a persona pain point driven pitch versus right like like some kind of like really hot why you why now trigger based pitch. So hold yourself to this, you know, rotate through the pitches or, or do one pitch one day and the other pitch the next and then test your, your throughput. Uh, test the contact that you call. Test the number of times you call somebody before you move on. Uh, test the time of day that you call. Uh, test calls versus email. Like you know what you do every day, so don't just accept that that's what you do every day. Keep track of it and use the data to improve your process. So when you say keep track of it, right? So pretty much everything we do on a daily basis is recorded in Salesforce or whatever CRM that we're using. Is that what you're talking about? Just keeping track of things there. I mean, if you've got a good management team that, w- that w- you know, they were strategic when they set up your CRM, then they should be feeding you this information. And uh, if that's the case and they're giving you ways to improve, then be humble about it and, and be open. You know, like Tiger Woods has a swing coach and Tom Brady has a quarterback coach. Um, so listen to the advice they're giving you if they're using data. If they're not using data and it's, it's kind of sloppy, like a lot of early or smaller companies are – then, you know, hold yourself accountable. Um, use a use a piece of paper and, and make a tick mark every time you make a phone call. Fold the paper in half and, you know, on, on the left-hand side is, is pitch A and on the right-hand side is pitch B and put a, a, a dash when you connect but don't book and, and put a star when you connect and book. And at the end of the day, figure out the ratio, right? Call the, call the meeting rate for pitch A versus pitch B. Like, I, I don't... I don't I think it's it's the responsibility of your management team to to decide what to track and, and to push the, the company forward. But if they're not going to do it for you, then it's your responsibility. Right. It's, it's your career that you're talking about. You know, it's funny. I had Steve Richard on the on the show a couple of weeks ago and love Steve. Yeah. And he said the same thing. He said, you know, you have to own your career. It's, it is not up to anyone else but you. So you, you started to go down the path, Joe. But, you know, look, some of us are going to work for smaller companies who don't have all these great systems put in place. They don't even have potentially the pitches uh, in place that we should start to test or anything along those lines. Um, we, we talked about it. They don't have the data. They don't have sales enablement. Give me some practical things. Like what could I do if I'm starting out a company? Maybe I'm salesperson number one or two. What can I be doing today? There, there is no shortage of, of really smart content out there that, that, can, that can give you a leg up on, on how to do this, um, whether it's like the account-based playbook from Engageo or, or like InsideSales.com has some really smart content. InsideSquared has some good content. The people at OpenView do a good job. Uh, you know, Jason Lemkin and Tom Tungus, like if your boss isn't leading the charge in, in terms of building out a smart process and, and making sure you're doing the right things, then do your homework and, and figure it out. And the best part is if, if there's a gap at your company in, in terms of like leadership or strategy, then just do that job. Just do it for them and eventually you'll get that job. So if you want to move up and you want to promote, then go do your homework and, and, and get it done. Um in terms of like what an early company needs to do specifically, I think that a lot of us have read the piece, uh, have agreed on it, you know, and have said that we're going to we're going to do this process. But very few of us actually do this. And, and what I'm talking about is ensuring that you have the right companies in your queue. So define your target 
company and really take your time there. Most people say, oh, I know who my, 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 my prospects are, but really take the time to understand who your target audience is and then identify who at that company buys from you and then ask yourself why. So now you've got a better understanding of who you should be reaching out to. I cannot stand people that still are, are in this like 1980s mindset of I've got a list a mile long and I'm just going to call from the top to the bottom. Like, like you use your brain here. I get emails that, that, that pitch like we can help you hire engineers or I can help you improve your website. And I'm like, dude, take two seconds and look at my LinkedIn and you'll realize I'm not hiring engineers and I'm not building websites. Mm-hmm. So, Get specific with who you're trying to talk to and then start to iterate, test and iterate. Like I, like I said, um, how many calls, how many emails, what time of day, you know, uh, what's the pitch that you use? So I, I really think that the two things you need to do early on in your company is identify who you're trying to sell to and then start testing out the different methods to, to reach those people. We're just doing an audio uh, podcast today, but if you could see me, Joe, I'm sitting here shaking my head yes and smiling really big. I, I spend my days, you know, working with companies trying to help them create their sales process and whatnot, and and I am beating my head against the wall right now with one of my clients that just won't do that. They will not define who they're going after. I said, you cannot re- you cannot serve everyone. You just can't do it. And they are fighting against me so hard. I might just have to have them listen to uh, to what you just said there. So thank you, <laughs> you for know- that. Yeah, Jim, you know what? A lot of people are, are worried about um, like like a small sample size, right? Where, I mean, all of our customers at Inside Squared are startups, right? They're, they're all early stage companies. We've got a handful that have IPO'd, but for the most part, they're, you know, somewhere between their seed round and like their, you know, their, their final round before they go public. And, and what a lot of folks are saying when you say, you know, target and focus is, you know, what if we what if we make that decision too early? We've only got 200 customers. How do you know that that's actually our people? And if that's the reason that they're unwilling to to isolate and, and focus, then just let them come up with like two or three target audiences and, and, and you know, send the probes out into all three of them. But even if you're not going to say we're specifically for customer A, right? You should still identify who customer A is and who customer B is and who customer C is and and be strategic and specific when you do your outreach to those different markets. So it's okay to have more than one segment, but there's no excuse for not defining what those segments are. Well, the current client I'm talking about, they decided B2B was going to be their segment. That's that's pretty narrow, right? (laughs) Perfect. My goodness, my goodness. Now, so Joe, you 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 said a lot of things um, in there that I want to unpack a little bit. You, but you guys have un- onboarded over a thousand customers. You've truly seen what works and what doesn't. Give me some insight into that. So when I'm setting up Salesforce and I'm looking at, and not even Salesforce, just really any CRM. But when I'm setting that up, what data should I be capturing? What matters besides just obviously name, contact, company, phone number, et cetera? Sure, sure. I think. Um... I think there are some fields on each object that that are really important, whether you're you're lead based or or account and contact based. Um, you need some de- demographic and firmographic information. It's probably custom to to what you sell and who you sell to. But things like lead source or company size or vertical or or however you're segmenting, you really need to make sure that information is being captured so that later you can test efficiencies. So when people come inbound or if you go outbound to them. You need to understand later what type of company or what type of persona converts. And the only way you're going to know that is if you're accurately tracking that information. So 
demographic and firmographic information matter. Then you want to be able to understand, you know, aside from who I target, can I find efficiency and can I improve based on how I target? And the only way to do that is to is to really be diligent about logging your activities, which is cliche, I know, but is it a phone call or is it an email? Is it a face-to-face meeting? Did you connect on that phone call or not? Did you, if you didn't connect, what was the objection they gave you? So in terms of like your prospecting efforts, you want to think ahead to the things that you're going to, you're going to test. And then you need to make sure those fields get captured in the CRM. Now, once you're done with prospecting, there's the concept of opportunity management, right? These are the active deals that you're trying to close. You need to have a defined sales process. So the stages matter. And, you know, every thought leader out there would agree you map the stages to the buying process. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It matters where they are in their cycle. So understand the buyer's journey and then build the buyer's journey into your into your opportunity stages. Uh, manage your close date, manage your forecast category. You need some kind of qualification uh, deal map, whether it's BANT or, or Manic, whatever it is, right? You know, who's authority? What's the budget? What are they, what are they buying for? Uh, Mark Robert at HubSpot uses uh, GPCT, goals, plans, challenges, and timelines. Whatever it is, you need some methodology that will guide you to make sure you're asking the right questions. So, you know, Jim, I feel like I'm way off on a tangent here, but it's, uh, it's track firmographic and demographic information on the lead and contact record track prospecting information like what type of attempt are you making and what was the outcome of that attempt so you can iterate your prospecting and then track deal management information like a qualification criteria a sales process through the op stage close date forecast and value and for me if you can get that built into your crm you know you'll be you'll be light years ahead you know versus if you didn't and just understand and be be accepting of the fact that you're always going to have to make changes and improvements to your CRM because people think it's a it's a, a database. It's like a contact management. It's an online notebook. Right. But the reality is, if you're using it correctly, it's a source of information for where you can improve. So track it, learn it and then iterate and then do it again and again and again. That was not a tangent at all. I'm sitting here taking notes because that was a lot of great stuff. So I appreciate that, Joe. You know, I, 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 I read a ton. I'm always researching. One of the things I really don't like seeing, but I keep seeing it come over and over is uh, reports that say, here's the best time of day. Here's the best day of the week. Here's the, be- <laughs> the, the, the challenge I have with that is as soon as those things are published, everyone starts doing it, right? Just like predictable uh, uh, revenue. As soon as that book came out, everyone started doing it. No longer works. It, it can work. But anyway, but I talked to, I had Derek Grant uh, on the show way back in episode two. And, and he said, look, because I can see all the data, I know that subject lines that are three words or less get open more. What kind of data can you share with me, either from, from your experience with your team or just data from, from, you know, customer aggregate customer data that you've kind of seen, you know what, there's a pattern here and I see that it working. Well, you know, shameless plug, uh, if you go on Inside Squared's website and, and look for the benchmark study that we did, we actually analyzed uh, hundreds of, of uh, growing uh, SaaS companies. And then and then we sliced and diced the data by like, you know, your average sale price or, or by your, your sales cycle or by your annual revenue. And then we're giving you information like what should your win rate be? What, what should your sales cycle be? Uh, you know, how many opportunities a month should a salesperson own? And um you know, what percentage of your rep should hit quota. So we, we actually have a ton of information that's not like 
from an interview. It's actually from from your CRM, and and then we published it. So there's a ton of good information in the benchmark study that we did. The the irony is we actually published a, a best time to dial uh, one pager a while back. And it's it, it's actually was a great lead source for us because a lot of folks are wondering, how can I be more more effective on the phone? The the tone, the 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 idea behind our one pager was more around the importance of measuring and, and then tracking and making decisions for you. It wasn't really meant to say everybody will have the same results that we personally had think that's the that's the danger a lot of folks will say like joe you know what's your win rate what should my win rate be and i'm like dude there are so many things that 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 impact your win rate how early in the process do you create the opportunity you know if somebody says call me in three months do you close it as lost and create a new one later or do you leave it in some kind of like holding stage so there, there's a real there's a real harm that you can do if you start asking other people what their stats are and then modeling your company after their stats the the real thing that you should do is find a, a find a realistic find a way that you can track your metrics and that you trust the the results of that tracking, and then test a couple of ways to improve your metrics. And the point should not be making your company look like other companies. The point should be making your company look better than it did last time. I love that comparing yourself to yourself at certain points in the, in the, or milestones in the year. I, I love that. <clears throat> I like to do a lot of research uh, on the people, Joe, that I, that I'm having conversations with. And one of your former, uh, employees, he said that you were not only the best salesperson at the company, you know, from an individual contributor standpoint, but also the best coach and mentor at the same time. And, and that's, that's hard to do, but talk to me about what coaching means to salespeople in your opinion. Well, how do you do that with your team and how do you, how do you provide the best leadership? It's like French fries and pizza, right? Like when you're aligned, you're going to go fast. And when you're not aligned, you're going to slow down. So I had a boss that, that once taught me that the, the best the best interaction you can have with, with, with somebody who works for you is to understand, like to really, really understand what they want in life and then find the things that you can help them get. And so now it's a really straightforward trade and it's not one that we have to be coy about. I'm, I'm very honest about it. Tell me what you want to do. Tell me what you want to learn. And I'll give you everything I can to teach you that and enable you to build that in yourself. And if I don't know it myself, I'll either go learn it or I'll bring someone in who knows it. And so I will give you what it is that you want. And in exchange, you're going to do what I ask and you're going to work hard and you're going to be honest with me. And, you know, most of the people that I work with are more than happy to sign up for that agreement. I sign up for that agreement with my boss. Right. And if you don't have a boss that's doing that with you, you probably have a bad boss. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I just think it becomes really, really easy when, when you operate that way, because it's not you're not pulling somebody along by the collar. You're doing it together. So the way I coach is I, I figure out what they want to do. And then I make sure that enough of the lesson plan that I'm giving them is tailored to what they want. And, yeah, I'm also mixing mixing in some stuff that they didn't ask for, but I know they need. And, and that's how I develop a good relationship. You know, it's funny to me, Joe, in that is that if, if someone took just the words that you just said without context, that's also how a good salesperson just operates with their clients, right? They truly go out to try to understand what their prospect wants. And I'm talking about from a personal standpoint, not just from a company standpoint, but if, if you solve this problem, what happens to you? 
right? And then I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I can give you that. And sometimes I'm even going to feed you some of the information you're not asking for, but I know you need. And so it's amazing to me as you unpack that, I'm like, holy cow. Yeah, that's, you're also just describing a great sales relationship. So that's awesome. Jim, the, the, the sick irony is like some of the most important lessons you want to give people, you, you find yourself repeating them over and over again. And, and then because you repeat them so often, they kind of lose their, their impact. And, mm-hmm. and what I'm thinking about is I always tell our salespeople, I, I say it all the time, treat every prospect like they're your aunt or your uncle. And, and the reason I say that is because there's a built in level of respect there. Okay. So you're never going to you're never going to upset them or step on their toes if you pretend you're talking to your aunt and your uncle. However, you're allowed to disagree with family. And so you can say, you know, uncle, I actually watched that documentary, too, and I'm not sure I got the same read from it. Here's where I where I think you're wrong. You're allowed to tell them that they're wrong. And if you do it the right way with respect, then people are going to be open to it. And so every single engagement I've been on, I've just just insisted that there's that 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 dynamic there. I respect you. I appreciate you. I, I, you know, I'm going to put you first, but I am going to guide you if I think that you're wrong. And so you end up operating with the other person's best interest at heart, but you're also making sure that you get your fair share and and it's, it's win-win. It's the right way to behave. That is good stuff. I agree wholeheartedly. Joe, you, you started at the beginning of the show saying that you kind of joined John Hancock as just a way to get some experience. Uh, didn't weren't going to be in sales for very long, but here we are, fifteen years later. You're still here. How do you sustain the the growth that you've had and the high performance that you've had without getting burnt out for fifteen years? <laughs> um, look, it's like sharpen your axe. Um, I travel a couple of times a year. I make sure to get out of the country, and and like I love eco tourism, so I'll go to the rainforest. I'll go to the beach. Uh, I've got a really healthy relationship. Um, I've, I've got a lot of friends and, and I'll make sure that even though I'm working long hours and I'm probably working, you know, either Saturday or Sunday every weekend, I do get enough out of life that's not at work to keep me happy. So I'm, I'm happy in, in my core. In, in terms of like, how do I keep moving forward at work? I don't really know. I, I just want to learn. I just want to get better. And so when I get a new project, I, I work my ass off to dissect it and do a good job. And then as soon as that project's done, it just seems to be another project after that one. So I haven't reached a point yet where I'm like, this is this is monotonous. I'm sick of this. Uh, I'm still at a point where I'm learning and growing, which which is exciting. That's fantastic. So I can't imagine that you're an anomaly here and that you've never done anything wrong. So can you tell me about a time where things went the other way for you? They just, you failed? Sure. I've, I've got... Uh, I've got a really good failure that, that I actually like to share. I, I think it's I think it's funny. It's embarrassing, but it's funny. Um, before I got into tech, I, I was considering med device versus tech. Um, you know, pharma had had died. This this was like eight years ago. Pharma had died. Uh, manufacturing wasn't great in this country. I, I think the two growth industries were med device and, and tech. And so I, I went and interviewed for for a job selling uh, devices to to OBGYN. And the hiring manager, I don't even know if this is legal, but he looked me right in the eye and he, he said, you know, Joe, I, I just don't know if I buy it. Um, you're going to be way out of place. You know, you're, you're six feet tall and 300 pounds and you, you played college football. I don't see you walking into into uh, gynecologist offices and, and getting meetings. So I'm not sure. I'm thinking the same thing right now. So just so you know, <laughs> yeah, especially with a sleeve tattoo and a yellow Harley. So yeah. 
<laughs> he's not wrong, right? I'm definitely out of place. And so, you know, I used my network and I, and I booked a couple of meetings and I, I called him back and I said, you know, hey, listen, what are you doing Thursday? I've, I've got two meetings for us. Let's go sell some devices. And I thought that that was awesome. I thought I was, uh, you know, like a, a shove it up your ass mentality. I'm going to go get the job done. And, and you had a doubt about me, but check this out. Right. And when I told him, what are you doing Thursday? I've got a couple meetings for us. He was really upset. Uh, he was concerned that I was representing myself as, as an employee of the company. He was concerned I was mentioning their brand. And, you know, it's, it's a highly regulated industry. And it did not go well. And it was the end of the interview. Um, and so that was a big time lesson for me, you know, know your audience and tailor your approach and, you know, maybe ask a couple questions and, and don't just let blind ambition be your, be your compass. So, you know what though, I, I, I hear that, but I'm going back to some of the things you said earlier. If, if your manager isn't giving you certain things, like maybe you just have a bad manager. I don't know that you ever wanted to work for this guy because I, I want what, everything you just said. I want that in somebody. So I, I don't know if that's uh yeah, that's good. Joe, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And Sales Sooners, you don't go either. We'll be right back. Sales Sooners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We're back and it's time for the money round. Joe, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Uh, just a desire to learn and improve. I like that. I like that a lot. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell your 22-year-old self to spend the next 30 days doing? Learn faster. Uh, don't don't stick around and do the same job over and over again. Like make sure that you you get really good at it and that you complete the task. But learn as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. Two part question for you here: Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I love to win. Uh, I, I feel like I don't lose very often, and when I do, I'm a good sport about it. Uh, I just love running up the score. I want to see. I want to see if I can break the scoreboard. So I really, really like winning. You're the first person to use that analogy. Coming from a football player, it doesn't surprise me. But I love running up the score. That is fantastic. <laughs> Joe, what's a book that you've read multiple times, or always find yourself recommending to others? Uh, so I actually, when I designed the, the onboarding program here, I made sure that we put some good sales lit in there and I recommend that people read the, the Sandler sales approach. So you can't teach a kid to ride a bicycle at a seminar and then read the challenger sales by, by the CEB group. And, you know, I know it's the money round, but 
I, I can't help but say this. There is a reason that that I choose those two books. I think that you know Sandler was one of the first people to talk about the consultative sales approach in like a patient uh, doctor relationship instead of a buyer seller relationship. And I, I just think that there are timeless lessons in there that you know you need to understand what people want before you pitch what you have, and you need to hold them accountable to an agreement. Okay. And then you read the challenger sale and it's a really modern take on that where yes, consulting is important and yes, pain before delivery matters, but you have to get modern because all of your competitors have videos on their website that talk about their value prop and our target audience is no longer willing to get interrogated before you share anything. And so I think read Sandler and then read challenger and hopefully you'll end up with a foundation in, in being consultative, but an understanding that you might have to keep up the pace that your prospects want. Yeah, of course. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Joe's suggestion of you can't teach a kid to ride a bike at a seminar for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30 day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Joe, what's something that you believe that nearly no one agrees with you on? I'll do you one better. Everybody agrees with me, but nobody actually does it. Uh, you should run your business by the numbers. You should be data-driven in your approach, and you should test and iterate your process. And every single person will nod their head that that's true. And then I challenge those people to go back and tell me specifically what they did in the last week that was on, on the – uh, in an experiment. So what experiment have you run in the last week? What have you tested? Everybody says that they want to be data-driven. Everybody says that they want to test and iterate, but tell me the last test that you actually ran. I like that. All right. What's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Uh, you know, it's easy for me to say I, I've finally gotten to a place in my career where, where I've elevated a couple of times and I'm in a VP role. So this is going to sound really cliche, but trust me, it took me 15 years to get here. Put learning over earning and promotion in the beginning of your career. Find a place where you're going to learn and grow and develop. Do not chase that title. Do not chase that W2. Chase your skills. And then later in life, you'll be in a better spot because of it. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Joe. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show? I'm really easy. I'm on LinkedIn. It's Joe Caprio or I'm Joe at InsightSquared.com. Joe, this has been an absolute uh, pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jim. This was great. I found myself taking more notes than usual today with Joe. The specifics of how he breaks down data in his CRM are something I've thought about, but never really put into practice. I think I'll be changing that this week. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, play by the numbers. Ask not what the numbers can do for you, but what you can do with your numbers. If you have tools available for tracking, do more than just use them. Make them work for you by analyzing what they mean for your business. You know what you do every single day, so don't just accept it and move on. Keep track of it and use the data to improve your process. Number two, work harder and smarter. Instead of debating whether to work harder or smarter, do both. There are those who will say there's no substitute for hard work, efficiency, and high conversion rates. But why not work smarter as well? Once you've learned how to be efficient, don't stop there. Instead, be smart. Put your knowledge and experience to work for you by doing more of what works and less of what doesn't. 
Stay on your toes by mixing it up regularly, and whatever you're doing, don't stop growing. Number three, treat prospects like your aunt or uncle. Doing so creates a built-in level of respect. You're not going to upset them or step on their toes, but that said, you're allowed to disagree with your family. So, if you create the same dynamic with your prospects, you can respectfully tell them they're wrong and educate them based on the perspective you have. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guest, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there.